Kendra Tombolato, here with Mei Zhang, and this is the China Travel Podcast by Wild China Travel. Each week, we'll be heading to a new place in China to share our top local tips and tricks, highlighting our favorite food, hotels, and experiences, as well as sharing resources. If you're joining or catching up on past episodes, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. And lastly, if you're interested in traveling China with us or attending any of our other virtual events, please visit our website at wildchina.com. You may have already deduced by the intro music, but this episode of the China Travel Podcast is seasonally themed. In the lead up to Halloween, we asked Jim Nobles, founder of Bazaar Beijing, to chat with us on some of China's more haunting facets. We cover a range of afterlife and ghoulish topics, from Joss paper burnings going virtual with the growing awareness of environmental impacts, to Chinese Ouija boards and supernatural beliefs. And of course, there's a smattering of local ghost stories woven in along the way. Welcome to the China Travel Podcast. My name is Zhang Mei, and every week we venture to a different destination in China with a very special guest. And when we say destination, it can really be a village, a town, or sometimes simply a way of life. Right? So today, we are heading to the underworld of Beijing, the land of the dead. And to talk with Bizarre Beijing's founder, Jim Nobles. Now, a little bit about Jim. Jim is a longtime connoisseur of the strange and the unusual. So his accolades in this field include a stint as a horror movie reviewer for Rotting Flesh Radio before he moved to China, where, where he went on to found the Beijing Horror Film Society. And as a lover of Chinese history and culture, Jim felt it would be a benefit to show people a darker side of Beijing by offering haunted tours and macabre events, etc. So with a deep understanding of Chinese ghost culture, Jim shares his stories and experiences on these seldom, very seldom seen side of the Chinese capital. So I'm very excited, very excited to have you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I know you are the China ghost expert, but I want to start by tapping into your expertise by knowing both the West and Chinese ghosts. I hope everybody knows by now that I am Chinese, grew up in China. So my ghosts, <laughs> I would think, are typically Chinese. I'll, I'll start by telling you mine. Mine is a woman long white hair, and she actually looks completely human, except with very, very pale and wrinkled skin, and um, very long red nails, not from nail polish, from blood, of course, right? And she usually is found in a deserted temple, overgrown with tall grass and, I don't know, fallen eaves on the walls. And usually there would be a poor scholar studying hard for the imperial exam. And she'd fall in love with him and the story to be continued. Um, yeah, my reaction is that is the standard typical from like Pusong Lee's strange, strange stories from a Chinese studio. The, the, the very, very classic uh, female, Nugwe, female ghost who, <laughs> who haunts the, haunts the scholar while he's trying to be a, very filial son to 
prepare and take care of his family and there's all these distractions but but yeah no that is um <laughs> that is very archetypal um and i'm uh-huh. gonna i'm gonna tap into that in a minute but yeah in the west um you know the the typical ghost is kind of this transparent image of a of anyone you know male or female um and um create like poltergeist activity in homes, you know, to, uh, you know, with, you know, houses that are tend to be haunted. Um, but one of the things I wanted to tap into, uh, when I talk about Chinese ghost culture is I use the example that, um, Eskimos have dozens of words for snow. It's very, very common. All right. Mm-hmm. Chinese have dozens of words for ghosts. We're in the West, we'll just say ghost or phantom. But in I China, thought we only have one. No. Gui. No. Well, you have Ugwe, you have Nugwe, you have Shuegwe. So you you have these like hungry <laughs> ghosts and female ghosts and water ghosts and Yaogwe, like weird ghosts and and Wutogwe, headless ghosts. So in the West, we just tend to say just ghost. But in China, there's kind of many different varieties of, of ghosts that people will. And that goes with the his, historical context. There's a, a lot about ghost culture in China that goes back to the days of ancestor worship, you know, Konsu, Confucius, that you had to do certain rites and rituals if a relative uh, had died. And that yeah. was um, really part of your part of your duty. And you had mentioned your concept of a ghost, a, a female ghost, or we would say a nugue. And nugues play a huge role in, in Chinese ghost stories because the reason why they're common is according to traditional Chinese culture going back, you know, centuries, the only one who could do the proper funeral rites for you was, was a family member. And what would happen is if a woman was unmarried and died tragically in some way, technically she didn't have a family. There was no one to do the proper funeral funerary burial rites for her so she would become this kind of wandering spirit and that is why there was a practice called ghost marriages which even exists to this day in rural parts of china where someone who has died they'll have a proxy and uh, they can marry this proxy and theoretically move on Mm, I actually never thought about it. So the image that was planted in my head was purely by this book that you were referring to. In Chinese, we call it Liao Jai Zhi Yi, right? <laughs> and um, my question there, I, by the way, I think you're one of the very, very few people, or if not the only one that I know who's read this book. So my question there is, um, do you know of any other Chinese book as influential on ghosts? And also, are, are there any any equivalent in the West? Oh. Well, yeah, there was um, uh, Yu Yang Ro's uh, GEG, um, or Records of 
collected extraordinary tales from the Tang Dynasty has a number of these um, stories too. Um, there are, cool. yeah, tale, you know, and this is one of my ballywicks and passions is kind of collecting, you know, different Chinese stories um, of the unusual. Like we, it, and we'll get into it a little bit, but like with Bizarre Beijing, you know, yes, we do haunted tours, but we also try to do unusual things, you know, so like myths and legends and show people kind of the dark side of, <laughs> of these different places. Because um, there, and I had mentioned before, there's a lot of Chinese who are afraid you know they're like oh no i don't like scary movies or i don't like <laughs> you know big ghosts i'm afraid of but you know and so we can tamper it down a little bit and it's like yes you know we can kind of talk about the culture try not to make it too scary uh -huh. but uh one of the things that that i have found really interesting is that's kind of a generalization like um a lot of Chinese are very, very afraid of ghosts versus their Western counterparts. But I know with the young people will play a ghost game um, called Bixian. Now, Bixian's Western equivalent would be Ouija. You know, Ouija, there's a Ouija board. It has letters and numbers and two people hold this kind of plachette that goes across the board. You know, they ask the spirit questions and it kind of spells out words. Well, in China, you have something very similar. You have two people, has a piece of paper, they hold a pen between them, and they will ask a question, and then the pen will move, you know, and, and create various characters. So that's quite prevalent. Most young people are familiar with Bixian, which means pen god. Um, and one, one story I have... Um, I have told not to completely segue off off of this, but um, in Beijing, particularly, uh, when one one traditional Chinese custom was always when somebody died, they would be taken back to their hometown. You know, very very traditional, taken back to the hometown, have the various funerary rites done, so their spirit can can move on. Well. If people had, you know, what do you do with the bodies? You know, they have no family, they have no money. So I'm not familiar with other cities in China, and I'm going to assume it's going to be the same. But in Beijing, what they would do is outside the city, uh, specifically in places like Fengtai and Haidian, which are in the southwest and northwest of Beijing, they would have these mass graves. Okay, pretty standard. They do that in the West, too. But the problem with that is in traditional Chinese feng shui, if you have kind of a mass grave area, it creates too much yin or negative energy. Okay, makes sense. So what counteracts that is yang energy, right? You know, kind of the yin and yang. All right. Well, who has a lot of yang energy? Kids, kids, yes. So what they did, and I actually know this as a fact from, from someone who was a student, 
is these places where there were these mass graves and like Fengtai Haidian, they would build schools and in residential family apartment buildings on top of this. And what is interesting with a lot of these schools, the, you know, the kids will board, they'll stay there in the school. And so at night, uh, you know, they'll play this game, Bishian. And I've told them, I'm like, you do realize you're you're doing this on top of a graveyard kind of thing. So it really kind of sets the mode and 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 set the tone to to create that spooky, creepy kind of atmosphere. Uh, so. That's that's interesting. That's the new yeah. China. Uh, two comments there. One sure. is neither Bixian nor the Western game. I don't know either. That must uh, show uh, my age. Yeah, Weiji. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. And then the second thing is, it's very interesting that you talk about they build schools and residential area on top of the mass graves. And mm -hmm. I have one funny anecdote to share is when we moved to the U.S., we were looking for a house to rent for some time. And my husband said, oh, I found this great house. I looked at the map. It's right across the street from a cemetery. Yeah. And I'm like... Oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't care what price it is, what view mm. it is. Uh, we're not going there. And he's <laughs> like, why? Yeah. I'm like, I, I said, no, I am not living <laughs> close to a cemetery. But then the Americans would be taking walks there, walking their dog. And uh, so that's that, that, that. Tell us about the attitude. I mean, in China, the ghosts live among us, right? There's, yes. We celebrate, well, not celebrate, we commemorate them, the tomb sweeping yeah. holiday of ancestors. Yeah, exactly. And, and then and, um, uh, Zhang Yanji, uh, Hungry Ghost Festival, like, you know, leaving leaving food out yeah. and, and burning the uh, the Josh money, you know, to help them in the, in the afterlife. Exactly. Right. I, I once actually burned my relatives a paper or plastic credit card. Oh. And a, <laughs> you can buy these trinkets in these funeral shops. Uh, one of the things that, that they've talked about to cut down on, especially during these major holidays where there's lots of burning and you see it on street corners all over the capital, is they were trying to go to a virtual way, like, like a hongbao you know, kind of electronic way of doing this without actually physically burning the uh, the the paper, which I thought was really interesting. You know, like the, we're we're modernizing it even more. Yeah, <laughs> my gosh, this is taking it to the next level that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, in China. We get the ghosts and gods and fairies somewhat all mixed up. They're mm -hmm. all somewhat in the other world. Yeah, yeah. What about, like, how does, where did that come from? And how, how does that differ from the West? Well, again, you know, histori historically within China, if, if you go back far enough, um, a lot of this, it really begins with you know ancestor worship. People would would worship their ancestors. It's probably some of the most primeval um, worship systems. And then it was later codified uh, under Kunsu under under Confucius. And it's been part of this 
yet traditional collective unconsciousness that's really existed here, mm. even people in in this modern era that we live in, they may not be religious. Um, they may not believe in God or, or gods and things like that. But all in all, a, even though even them, there are things they won't do. There are things they will avoid because of tradition. You know that, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, no, I I don't believe in any of the, but I do believe in ghosts. And I that's one of the big differences I I found here in China mm-hmm. versus the West because the West. I like I think I had mentioned before, a lot of people believe in ghosts or don't believe in ghosts, but for the most part, they're not, uh, they're not afraid, you know, um, they're not really afraid of ghosts. Um, it's, you know, as, as I think I'd met, like my colleague had said, you know, like, yeah, you guys want to party with them. Uh, we're in China. We want to be much more reverential. Um, yeah. you would never say, we would say happy Halloween. You would never say happy hungry ghost festival. You know, or happy tomb sweeping day. You just no, no. Um, but yeah, part of it, you know, there are those differences. But then there are there are certain archetypes and c- certain similarities. So to kind of move off ghosts just for a moment, um, like what do we have in the West? You know, in versus within China. Well, so in in the West, we have vampires. Well, in China, you have Zhongshir. But a Zhongshir is not really a vampire. A Zhongshir is more like a zombie. And instead of drinking, uh-huh. your, drinking your blood or eating your brains, you know, a Zhongshir takes your chi, takes your life force. Um, and there's many, many stories, you know, or Zhongshir... Uh, stories, you know, how you would have a Yao Dao or like an evil Taoist priest who would like resurrect these people and they tend right. to hop, you know, the junctures hop. Um, <laughs> and um, you can, you know, you carry a particular talisman with you that you place on its forehead and it will then come under your control. So if you needed to go to Starbucks to fetch you a a mocha or whatever, you have control of the juncture at that point. <laughs> now I want to get into ghost stories. Okay. Obviously, obviously the best way to to get up and close to these ghost stories is to go on a walk with you. Yes. But sadly, for those of us who are not there, um, tell us a story. Pick, sure. pick your pick. An ancient sure, one, sure, sure. a current one, whatever. Yes. Um, yes, there are so many, many great uh, ghost stories in China, as as we had said, you know, from Pusong Ling and and various other authors. But there's a, you know, there's the um, the Soul of the Great Bell, for example, from the Ming Dynasty, with the um, the father who was the craftsman who who built the bell, and you know, his daughter sacrificed itself, and that's why when it, you know, except for her shoe, when she threw herself into the um, the furnace to create it. Her father was able to grab her shoe. So, mm. you know, in, in this was in Beijing at the bell tower. So that is why even locals, when they hear the bell ring, it's almost like they'll hear she, you know, her shoe, like she's asking for her shoe. 
But anyway, so you really? want a ghost story. I'm yeah. going to tell you a ghost story. So this one was called The Last Bus to Fragrant Hills. Um, so it takes place in Beijing. And it's late at night. Uh, it was a bus going from Peking University out to Fragrant Hills, which is on the west side of Beijing, past the past right. the Summer Palace. Mm. So the uh, the bus is traveling, and it, it you know it had started off at the base station at the old Summer Palace, and kind of picked up this one couple, and then picked up this older woman and 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 younger man, and it's heading out heading out west towards Fragrant Hills. And as they're going along, the bus driver notices three men standing on the side of the road. And two of them are supporting like a man in the middle. Okay, so the bus driver's like, well, I'm the last bus. I'm going to pull over and let them on. So the three passengers get on and move to the back of the bus. And People are looking at him very oddly because they're dressed in like very old clothes and they're very pale. So the passengers are kind of like looking hmm. at that. But the conduct, the ticket taker on, on buses here in China reassured everyone. It's like, look, they're actors. They just got off work. It's late. They didn't have a chance to, to change. And <laughs> their friend in the middle they're supporting seems like he's a little drunk. Right. Okay. So off the bus goes and, you know, it's traveling and then it stops and lets the one couple off and then it continues on. And then suddenly the older woman stands up um, and yells and accuses the younger man who was on the bus of stealing her, her wallet where she had her money. So the bus driver pulls over. And the young man's arguing with the woman like, no, I did not take it. She's like, well, yes, you did. We need to go to the police station to clear this up. Fine. So the bus driver opens the, the door. The older woman, the younger man, get off. He closes the door and drives away. Mm-hmm. So the young man looks at the woman, or the older woman, and says, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. We're nowhere near a police station. And I did not take your wallet. She says, I know, but I saved your life. He says, what do you mean? She says, well, when the bus pulled over to let that one couple off, the wind kind of blew through the bus. And I looked in the back and it blew up the robes of the three passengers and none of them had legs. Okay. (laughs) So they (laughs) called, they, you know, got home. They called the authorities. Nobody believed them. Fine. Well, the next day, the bus never returned to its base station. It never made it back. So there was a search, you know, in the greater Beijing area for this bus. And three days go by, and they find it out by the Miyuan Reservoir. You know, it's just sitting there. So when the authorities find it, they find three bodies. They find the driver the the mm. ticket taker and the third person that those two were supporting in the middle. Now the bus had only been gone for three days, but the three bodies were greatly decomposed like they had been dead a long time. And the other puzzle was where the bus was found was beyond what it should have been able to go without running out of fuel. 
So the authorities checked the fuel tank. It was filled with blood. So, yes, that is the last bus <laughs> to, uh, to Fragrant Hills. It's a more contemporary uh, ghost story here in Beijing. How did you get into this? Well, obviously, you know, from being a little kid, I was always into kind of monster movies like most little boys are. Um, and and you, you read it in my, my bio blog that I am. Um, Mm -hmm. I used to, I used to do horror movie reviews, and then when I came to Beijing, every week we used to show a new scary movie in Nanlo Gusion. We called it Monstrous Mondays and Sinister Cinema with the Beijing Horror Film Society. I did that a couple years, um, and then it was like, ah, you know, I want to do like a haunted tour, but it's, but our tour is a combination of haunted tour, haunted attraction. So there's the historical side to it, which is legit. You know, we take people, we tell them these were torture execution methods. Here are some stories about these certain places, but also along the way, there's things that go bump in the night that tend to jump out at people. So mm. we kind of created this like walking historical tour slash guaywu, outdoor guaywu. So, and I know a lot of Chinese, especially younger Chinese, really like these, these like guaywu attractions that they have, like at Wukasong and stuff. They're like, yeah, I want to be scared, you know? So, so there is that market, even with the locals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we're just, you know, trying to expand and, you know, have more fun. So pick pick two two places in Beijing. Where do you go on your tour? Like, sure. Give us so, two to three places. Sure. All right. So we actually have a couple places in Beijing, and which I'll say really quickly. Um, is one is down in Taishiko, which was the old execution grounds during the Qing Dynasty. Uh, we start yeah. people at Chuanlumen, which was the gate of death. And we wind people through these kind of haunted hutongs down to around Taishiko and and tell them stories and explain what happened. And then we kind of take them through some other creepy hutongs. And we finish at uh, Hugon Weiguan, which is an opera guild hall that's literally built on top of a graveyard that's purported to be haunted. So that's where we, we finish that tour. Uh, mm -hmm. We do one, and this is in kind of Southwest, Southwest Beijing. We mm -hmm. do one that's east of the old legation quarter uh, called the Badlands. Uh, Paul French mentions it in his Midnight in Peking. Uh, uh -huh. This was an area that was built up in the 20s. It was a very seedy, dark side of Beijing with brothels and drug dens and crime and it's very very notorious and we take people through a yeah. haunted tour there uh we're putting one together in Xixia, which was the ming dynasty execution grounds just west of the forbidden city so yeah we're, we're you know we'll do the ghosts of 798 uh there's you know we do haunted dinners there's a a place in Beijing called uh, Travelers near Beixinchao that even according to the Michelin Guide is one of the most haunted restaurants in the world. You know, Although the locals there don't know it, but, but <laughs> how, we how do. Did, how did they come to that ranking? <laughs> you... uh, because it's got, it's got a berserker ghost. Um, there was a, 
a um, a guest who was poisoned by the head chef who died, and the chef was so remorseful he ended up killing himself. So no. the the ghost of the guest is this berserker ghost because he never had satisfaction. You know, the chef pretty much killed himself. So he mm. roams the hotel, you know, looking for revenge. So, so yeah, that's um, a lot of this is kind of digging, digging through stories and hearing uh-huh. stuff from people. So. I I don't think I'll be staying at that hotel. But okay, <laughs> this is this is pretty fun. Now, one last question: how sure. how do how do Chinese respond to all this? It's 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 interesting. Um, so when we've done our tours, the locals tend to kind of enjoy it. You know, you would think they would, oh, the locals would be scared. No, they kind of, we've never had that kind of difficulty. I absolutely respect expertise. Mm-hmm. And and as what you were saying, it's like if someone is is passionate about the subject and spends so much time reading up on the literature and checking out the site and actually talking to people and recording these oral history stories, mm-hmm. I think that is an amazing, amazing scholarship. Yeah. Um, I, I respect that expertise. That's well, because why. like like someone had asked me, yeah, we're not recording. Someone had asked me. Like, well, why a haunted tour? And I'm like, look, most major cities have some type of ghost tour. I mean, you know that. You go you go to London, they have Jack the Ripper tours, they have haunted London tours. Um, so most major mm. cities. Yeah, no, it sounds great. Before we say goodbye, do you want to give us a teaser on what you are doing in Beijing for Halloween? We may do like a Halloween experience for kids. Uh, mm. We've done this in the past where we've gone into hutongs and networked with local businesses. We Kids are in costume. We take them in. They can trick-or-treat. And then we mm. kind of take them through these whiny hutongs. And there's things may jump out and scare them and stuff like yeah. that. So, you, you should have ghosts get handing out candy to them. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. Ghosts and jonchers. That's right. Perfect. You can find Jim on Bizarre Beijing. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for listening in. And thanks, Jim. We'll see you next episode. And we'll explore somewhere else that is different Beijing, different China. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you so much. The China Travel Podcast is produced by Wild China Travel and hosted by Wild China founder, Mei Zhang. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love to hear from you and would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. For updates and notifications on future podcasts, we encourage you to subscribe to the China Travel Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to stay connected with us, please visit our website, wildchina.com, follow us on social media at Wild China Travel, or add us on WeChat at wildchina underscore journeys.